We want to turn uh, to turn our attention to uh, to the Word of God at this time, and uh, and I've got a, a very a very familiar portion of Scripture that I would like for us to to look at uh, this morning, and uh, it's going to start in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start in the 21st verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, and I'm going to go down through the end of the chapter. So that's going to be eight, eight verses, eight, nine verses we're going to look at here this morning. From that time forth began Jesus to show forth unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, be it far from thee, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom and that is that is the uh, the conclusion there that is the conclusion of our our lesson text this morning uh, it's the 16th chapter of Matthew the 21st through the 28th verses and now we uh, as we get into this as we get into this I, I guess if I had to had to give a title uh, it, it would be it would be understanding uh, understanding the will of God uh, understanding the will of God and uh, and so uh, here in this 21st verse um, Jesus is going to start at, from a moment now now let's look at this at what had occurred prior to this he says it, it says uh, here Matthew writes that from that time forth, so what had occurred, what had occurred previously was Jesus had asked the question, whom do men say that I am? He asked that question up in the 15th verse. Who, but who, but, but, I'm sorry, in the 13th verse. Who do men, who, who do, whom does men say that I am? And, uh, and so the, the apostles, uh, the disciples, I guess at this point, they start giving him a bunch of different answers, right? Uh, because you got to understand, before the preaching of John the Baptist, 
they'd had 400 years where they had not heard anything from God. And they are honestly earned that, that period of silence, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but God just kind of left them alone to themselves, didn't he? Uh, if we go back and we study through the Old Testament, we see God bringing them out of Egypt in such a mighty way, uh, with the plagues of Egypt having taken place and then finally bringing them through the Red Sea and, and then drowning uh, Pharaoh's army there in the Red Sea. And then his, his, the intent was that they would go from there immediately up to Sinai, receive the law, and then from there they would immediately go up in and start conquering the promised land, right? Start conquering Canaan. But we know because of the unbelief of that generation that they couldn't enter into Canaan, uh, and that unbelief prevented them from entering in. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't have leave uh, in, uh, in what God had told them that he would do. Uh, then, after they had entered into that land under Joshua's stewardship, and they had conquered that land to a certain degree, but they didn't do it entirely the way that the Lord had told them to, meaning they didn't drive out all of the inhabitants of the land. They allowed some of them to remain, and God told them what would happen if that occurred, and that's what happened. So they, they enter this period of time, um, uh, first under, uh, uh, under Saul, um, but Saul really prevented a lot of that from taking place. Uh, David prevented a lot of that uh, idolatrous worship from taking place, but Solomon didn't. During the latter part of Solomon's kingship, Solomon had built all of these temples to all of these pagan gods because he had married wives of all of those pagan communities. And so he built temples for them. He built temples to Molech and, and, and temples to all the other deities that were, uh, were, uh, were of, of the land, which they were not supposed to do. And he, entered, he, he introduced the children of Israel into an idolatrous form of worship. Because of that, God said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And so when his son Rehoboam ascends to the throne, he ignores the advice of the learned, of the older men. He, he adheres to the, the advice of his younger men. And, and he's, he's going to be a tyrannical ruler, essentially. And Jeroboam peels off the top ten tribes to the north, leaving the southern kingdom to only be Judah and Benjamin. And so, and so then they enter this period of judges and they have this and from this point forward they have this this oscillation effect don't they um uh, and, and and sorry and the judges occurred before the kingships but but during even during the time of the judges they had this period of of uh, of time where they would be very faithful to the lord period of time where they would fall away and start to worship idols and, and then that that kind of absolved itself like i said at first with, with Saul, then David, and, and then Solomon really brought it all back in a big way. And uh, and Israel, once it peeled away, it was always idolatrous, and it was never recovered from it. And, uh, and so as we look here, we see uh, Jesus is talking to them, and he says, Well, who do men say that I am? And the reason I went through all of that is because they always looked back to what had happened before. Um, but now, there were some of those men of that day who were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist, but that's not possible. There were some of that day who were saying that Jesus was 
Elijah. Elias, that's who that is. And that's not true. John the Baptist was the one who came in the spirit of Elijah, and that was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, and he did that. There were people saying that Jesus was Jeremiah. That's not that's not that's not correct either. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, uh, and, and so it says, or one of the other prophets. And so they were given a whole range of who people were saying that Jesus was. If Jesus was in the world today, I don't believe it would really be any different. I think people would look at Jesus and they would look for a carnal sort of explanation for who he is and and and, and what he stands for or some kind of historical precedent. There was no historical precedent for Jesus because God had never incarnated himself in the world. But he asked his disciples this this question and he says, "But who whom do you say that I am?" And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and the free pardon forgiveness of sin, that's the question that you're going to have to answer for yourself. Who do you say that he is? Now, in this instance here, Simon Peter is going to speak up, but he's not speaking for himself. Uh, if we go over to the book of Luke and we go into the ninth chapter of, ninth chapter of Luke, we see uh, this same thing being recorded. And in the 18th verse, it says, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, meaning Jesus, his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who say the people that I am? And then he gives those answers. And he looks at him in the 20th verse and he says, But whom say ye that I am? And then Peter answering... And he's answering not just for himself, he's answering for the all twelve. He says, the Christ of God is the way Luke records it. In, in Matthew, it says, and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the kingly Messiah. That's who he said that he was. And, uh, and now this is where the the Catholics take Peter, and they say that Peter was the first pope. But Peter was never the first pope because Peter wasn't an apostle to the Gentiles. Right? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. This is where Peter at the pearly gates comes in, right? This is where, this, this is where that whole thing comes from. Because Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And this is where they get that. And upon this rock, and they, that rock is little r rock, because that word that's translated as rock there, really it just means pebble, meaning a little stone, right? Uh, he says, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And that rock is not Peter anyway. Right? The rock is what Peter said when Peter said, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ of God. That's the rock that he's going to build the, the church on. Now, the reason I said that is because if you look at Peter's name, it means a stone. But Peter's name means a pebble. That's where I was got, got those two things confused. Peter's name means a stone, but it's in reference to a pebble. He's saying that the rock that the kingdom of God's going to be built upon is that Jesus is 
the Christ. He's the kingly Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for all these hundreds of years when we haven't heard anything. We know what Daniel prophesied in Babylon, and here he comes. And so then he says this, and he says, and here's Peter at the pearly gates, right? And, and I will give unto thee... Now remember, he's, Peter spoke up for all the twelve. Right? He didn't just speak up for himself. Peter was oftentimes the spokesperson for the twelve. Now sometimes, sometimes it was because Peter was full of faith, and other times it was because Peter was the only one dumb enough to open his mouth at that moment. <laughs> but now in this instance, it's because Peter's full of faith, and he gives the correct answer to Jesus. And he says, And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And, and then we get into this instance where he says, And then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ, and that was so that he could actually fulfill the work that he set out doing. And that gets us to where we're at. That gets us to the point uh, in the scriptures where we began. And from that moment on, Jesus began to show them, he began to show them the things that he would suffer in Jerusalem at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and that he was going to be killed and that he was going to be raised the third day. And now it's that, it's that thing right there that Peter went from being Peter full of faith, speaking in wisdom, to Peter saying, I don't think so. Because Peter's going to make a, a statement here, and, and he's going to say, and he's going to say, uh, and he's going to rebuke the Lord. Uh, and it says there in the 22nd verse, Then Peter took him, meaning Jesus, and he began to rebuke him. Can you imagine anybody being so bold? Now that's a pretty foolish thing to think you've just stood and you've just said, Thou art the Christ, the, the, the Son of God. Uh, thou art the Christ of God. You just stood and made that statement. Now you're going to take him and bring him to the side and start telling him how he's wrong. <laughs> and so you see how Peter would do these things. And so Peter says, Be it far from thee. See, here's the idea, here's the problem, because they're still in the mindset, and, and this is why I believe Paul had to spend three years in the desert getting reprogrammed, right? They're still of the mindset that Jesus as the kingly Messiah is going to reestablish the kingdom on earth. Right? They're still of that mindset. And that's what a lot of people say of Judas was the reason Judas went and betrayed Christ is because is because well he wanted to go ahead and bring about the kingdom uh, and but 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 Christ never said his kingdom was of this world as a matter of fact he said the exact opposite he said my kingdom is not of this world but Peter still got that that carnal fleshly kingdom in the forefront of his mind. And when Jesus says that I'm going to be killed, 
he says, no, 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 no. Because if you get killed, then the kingdom doesn't get established. And if the kingdom doesn't get established, then the prophecy is not fulfilled, and so on and so forth. And so, but what Jesus has to do is he has got to teach Peter, and, and by extension also the other 12 or 11, that the, the kingdom of God is not going to be what you've expected it to be. And, and that's the way God works a lot of times, isn't it? If you're here today and you're lost, now you may have an, an image in your head about what it's going to be like uh, when you get saved or what it's going to be that saves you, but I'll tell you right now from experience uh, that often times it's the exact opposite of whatever you think it's going to be because God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and when we get to a place where we think we know more than God which is where Peter was at wasn't it then we're in a we're in trouble because we're supposed to be accomplishing the will of our father uh, in heaven not our own will. Jesus looks at Peter, and, and this is something that's always struck me, because this is Peter we're talking about. And we all, as Christians, we all, even though we don't look at Peter in the same light as the Catholic Church, we still do look at Peter as, as one of the dominant apostles, right? One of, uh, and, and they were all of the same office, but, but Peter was a little more... Uh, expressive in his demeanor. And so we look at Peter and we oftentimes want to think of Peter more highly than really we should um, because I don't even believe Peter really viewed himself in that light. If you go and read about when he entered into Cornelius' house uh, over in the book of Acts of the Apostles uh, and Cornelius falls down before Peter, Peter picks Cornelius up and says, <laughs> don't, don't bow down before me, I'm just a man like you are. But he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Anytime that, that we put our, well, our wants, our needs, our desires, anytime we put ourselves, right, or what we think of, ahead of what God would have for us to do, or what God uh, has provided for us, or we think God doesn't know better than we do, you know we're in Satan's territory at that moment. And that's where Peter finds himself. Is he finds himself in Satan's territory. And Jesus tells him that. And he not only tells him that, but he tells him he's an offense to Christ because of what he's done, because Jesus has laid out for them the plan of salvation, isn't he? He's laid out the plan whereby but whereby the Jews will be redeemed. Uh, he's laid out the plan in which the Gentiles will be redeemed, right? And he's laid out the plan in which all flesh will have the Spirit of God poured out on them. Uh, and it's all, it's all, it all hinges on Jesus going to the cross at Calvary and dying, uh, there and suffering death for every man, he being without sin because he's an actual suitable sacrifice for sin. That's why it pleased God to bruise him as Isaiah prophesied. And so we look here, and it says, and, and listen to how he expounds. He expounds upon why he called 
Peter, Satan. And he says, because thou savorest not the things that be of God. Now see, if you're here today, uh, and I would say this to anybody who's lost, uh, if you are only concerned about yourself, you're only concerned about your well-being, uh, you're only concerned about what you own, then you're going to have a very hard time getting saved. You're, you're going to struggle. Because it's not about you. See, what you have to understand is you're the reason why he had to go to Calvary in the first place and that if, if it weren't for you, then he wouldn't have had to, to suffer what he suffered. And so then we look at this and we say, okay, um, thou savorest not the things that be of God. Because before the foundation of the world, Christ stood as a lamb slain. Now, they don't know that yet, but he did. Uh, we know that because it's written in his word. He says, but those that be of men. In other words, he's saying you are, you are exalting what man's ideas are above the ideas of God. And we should always be careful in that, uh, that we're not doing that. Because man's fallible, isn't he? God is infallible. And the word of God's infallible. And so Jesus then, he turns his attention away from Peter, back to all the disciples, and he's going to teach them how this is going to be accomplished. And, and this is discipleship here. If we want to talk about being a disciple, if we want to talk about growing in grace and knowledge of the truth, this is what it requires. Uh, if you want to be saved, this is going to. It, this is also a part of that. Uh, if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be a disciple, first and foremost, you got to be saved, right? Uh, so, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, because you can't be full of self-worship and be a child of God. Uh, it, it, th those two things are incompatible. Uh, if you want to be saved, you've got to make the recognition, Lord, I don't have the ability to save myself. You know, there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of years laboring on altars, laboring wherever they may be, because they've got it, it, they've got it fixed in their minds that they are going to be able to save themselves if they just work hard enough, if they just do enough good works. Um, the world, the world i like this is in movies uh, the, the the movies will teach you well if you die if you die saving somebody else you automatically go to heaven now, folks that doesn't work that way does it if you've never been saved that's not the case even though the bible does say greater love hath no man or hath hath Greater love hath no man that he would give his life for his friends. Jesus is referring to himself in that statement because he has the power to lay it down and he has the power to take it up again. And so here he says, uh, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Our motivation, isn't it, is to accumulate stuff. I want this and I want this and I want this. If, folks, if we never stop and step back and through prayer and study and meditation sincerely and honestly ask the Lord, what do you want? We're no disciple. 
we're living our lives the way we want to live our lives to fulfill the things that we want to fulfill and we're living our lives in a way that we're not giving any regard to the to what God may think in the matter deny himself take up his cross i like the way i like the way luke puts this one luke says that that is a daily task that we have to take up our cross daily uh, and, and I think that's a, a very good reminder for us. And then that is in and of itself is still not following after Christ. Remember, he said, if my words abide in you, if, you, if I abide in you and you abide in me. It's not the hearers of the word, it's the doers of the word, Right? A lot of people get that mixed up, though, and they think that once you get saved, that it's from that point that, that initially you're saved by grace, but then you have to keep it by works. And that's not right, because if it's by grace, then it's by grace alone. If it's by works, it's by works alone. And it's not any combination of the two that's going to get you into heaven. It's that you, it, it is this that gets you into heaven, that God does not impute sin unto you. Instead, what's imputed Imputed unto you is the righteousness of Christ. That's what gets you into heaven. And so here he says that you have to take up his cross and you have to follow me. And so what this what he's really describing here is if you really want to be my disciple, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of the things that you may deem important. Remember what happened here. Peter's pulled him to a, to the side, and he said, "Not so, Lord. I'm not going to allow going to allow you to be killed because you've got to establish the kingdom." Folks, if all we're worried about is ourselves, then we need to just start saying, "Look, only thing I'm worried about is myself," and just stop going. Because, and, and I'm not saying that that's what I want. We have to understand if we're never asking God what God's plan is for us, we're not doing our part. This verse right here oftentimes gets really misconstrued. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. That, that is just another way of saying that you have to sacrifice self to be my disciple. If you're going to save your life, if you're going to do everything, if you're going to, whatever it is that you hold dear, if you're going to hold on to the profession of being Christian but never live it because it's more profitable for you in the world, then you probably need to reevaluate whether you really got it or not. Because what God wants for us should be paramount in our lives. He says, "For if you love me, then you'll, you'll lose your life for my sake. And I made this statement to some people the other day because they, they were looking at the things that are going on in our society uh, and they were like, they were trying to reconcile the two. And, and I said this, I said, to be a Christian in the West... Now, I'm, when I say the West, I mean the United States, Canada, Australia, right? Europe, largely. Scandinavia, which is Europe. But I said to be a Christian in the West, for the longest period of time, it hasn't cost us anything. 
to be a Christian. Now, I made this statement, and I really believe it. I believe those winds are changing. I believe if we're really going to say that we're loyal to Christ and that we owe our life to Christ, that eventually the world's, the world's working its way back around, isn't it? Especially in the West, where the things of God are no longer considered good, but they're calling evil good and good evil. And so now you're, now you're entering into a period, possibly, I believe that we are, that where it, you're going to have to start really understanding what this verse means. Am I going to really stand up for the Lord? Am I going to really advocate for Him as one of His children, redeemed by the blood of Christ, uh, because it's going to cost me in terms of my options in the worldly sense? may cost me in terms of my career, may cost me in terms of my, my ability to earn worth, it, it may earn money, it, it may cost me in a, in a various different sort of ways. Um, am I going to be more loyal and faithful to Christ, or am I going to turn my back in, cer- in a certain sense? Now look, I believe once you're saved, you're always saved. If you truly got saved. <laughs> Remember, Simon the sorcerer, he gave a profession of faith, didn't he? Simon the sorcerer, his name was Simon Magnus, he gave a profession of faith. He was baptized by Philip. But the apostles looked at him and said, you're not right with God. He never got it. He never got saved. See, it is very possible for somebody, and this is where Jesus says you have to examine the fruit of the tree, doesn't he? Because the fruit will, uh, the tree, the fruit will bear witness of the tree, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so he says, now, the, the, now he's going to ask this question. Before I get to this question, where he says, uh, for, for what if it profited a man that he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Um, if we go over and look in the book of Luke, I think Luke does a better job of explaining this uh, using a parable of Christ than anybody else does, than, I, than, than all the words I could possibly use would. And we look over here. I'm sorry, I, I sent you to the wrong place. Matthew chapter 20. Five is where I wanted to go. But Matthew chapter 25 is going to do a better job of explaining this, I think, than any place else. And it's the parable of the talents. And so I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to paraphrase a, a, a good portion of it. There's three men, right? One is given ten talents, one's given two talents, and one is given one talent. The, the one who has the ten talents takes those ten talents and gains another ten talents. And when the Lord comes back, he says, here are those ten talents and I've gained ten more talents. And Jesus looks at him and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The, the, the individual who received two talents comes to him and he says, here's your two talents and I've gained two more talents. And Jesus looks at him and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, see what they did was they took what God had given them and they used it to gain more for the Lord, didn't they? 
They used it to gain more for the Lord. Now there is the individual who had the one talent. The individual who gained the, who had the one talent, he says this in the 24th verse of the 25th chapter of Matthew. Then said, then he said, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Now you can't, you can't hide the fact that you're a Christian. Right? You can't hide it. If you hide it, then it kicks in the verse, right? If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. He received that talent. He refused to take that talent and demonstrate it to the world that he might gain just one more talent. And the Lord says, if you had not... And I'm going I'm I'm to continue on here. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I would have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents." For every, for unto every one that shall be given, shall he, and he shall have abundance. From, but from him which hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that, 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 that servant there received the one talent. He wasn't saved, was he? If he's cast out into a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, he's certainly not a saved man. And that's going to get us to where we we want to be here. Because Jesus asked the question, What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What if you deny your, your what if you deny your relationship with God that it makes you the wealthiest man the world has ever known that at but at the judgment God looks at you and says depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire It didn't gain him anything did it It gained him a period of temporal pleasure but it gained him an eternity of torment Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, we asked, we asked the question where he said, if you're here today and you're lost, you're going to have to answer that question. It was, whom do men say that I am? And here's another question for you to ask, is what are you going to give in exchange for your soul? Now, Hollywood makes light of this, don't they? Anybody ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Now, I love the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think it's pretty funny. Uh, because I, I grew up in, you know, in a rural area, so I understand a lot of the stuff, and uh, and a lot of us do here as well. And so, uh, uh, in the movie "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" you have the the in, the instance of uh, oh, what's the what's the what's the guitar player? Uh, 
What's the guitar player? What's his name? No, not Delmar. The guy they met who was out at the railroad tracks. Anyway, the guy, their accompaniment. Anyway, he, 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 they asked him, where did he learn to play the guitar like that? And he said, well, I sold my soul to the devil for it. And, and I'm like, really? And, and Delmar comes up to him and says, friend, don't tell me that you sold your soul to learn how to play the guitar. And he looks at him and he says, well, I wasn't using it. <laughs> Folks, are you using it? Right? Are you using it? Then Jesus is going to touch here on his second coming. In the 27th verse, we're, in the, we're still in Matthew 16. He says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. Remember in in chapter in, now in chapter 17 of of uh, John Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's the thing that he asked for? Lord, that you would restore the glory that I had before. 27, he says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father. Now these people that believe that there's going to be some secret rapture, I just can't understand that because when Jesus appears again, whether he's on the ground or in the air, he's going to be in the glory of the Father. I don't know how you can appear in the glory of the Father and every eye not see him and every eye not behold him and every eye not recognize him. And he's also coming with his angels. And then he says this, and he says, And then and then he shall reward every man according to his works, because when he comes back, I'm coming back to judge, just like he judged those, those men uh, with the, of the, uh, in the parable of the talents. I'm coming back and I'm judging all flesh. And it's at that time, if you're going to receive a reward, you'll receive a reward. If it's going to be taken away from you, it's going to be taken away from you. Matthew also says this. After he says, cast the unprofitable servant into out of outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is in the 25th chapter. He says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. Every eye will behold him. Every tongue will confess that the very thing that Peter and the, and the disciples professed at the beginning of this whole thing, where he says, Thou art the Christ, every eye will behold him, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ of God. That he is the way, he's the truth, He's the life, whether they're saved, whether they're lost, they're all going to acknowledge Him in that day. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. There'll be people alive in that day, won't they? They'll see Him in all His glory.
If you're here today and you're lost, you need to know him before that day occurs. If you don't, when that day comes, whether you're alive or whether you were in the grave, you're coming out. Whether alive or in the grave, you're coming out. Saved or lost, you're coming out. The redeemed first, and then after that, all the, everybody else and the sheep will be separated, won't they? Sheep, the sheep and the goats. The sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. The sheep will be accepted into uh, into heaven. The goats will hear those horrible words: "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you." where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. As the rich man said, I am tormented in this flame. Please send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and just cool my tongue. Jesus is coming back. We look around the world today and we say, man, it's so bad. Folks, it can, it, it can, and I believe it will, get a whole lot worse before he comes back. That's just the downward course of man, isn't it? But let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's not be so self-absorbed and so self-involved that we don't ask the Lord, what is it that you would have for me to do? Let's, before a lost and dying world, let's live our life in a manner which they see our good works and they inquire of God because of those works. That's how we let our light shine, isn't it? Let our light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's my message today. That's my message today. And, uh, and as we think about understanding God's will... Remember this always. It's not God's will that any should perish. And knowing that that's our Father's will, we should be engaged in making sure that as many as we can, whether it's ten or two or even one, that if we can have some impact on them to, to show them that they need the Lord, that they have a need to be saved. That that's what we ought to be doing. That's my message this morning. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.